Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts and Don Ho and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and Phil Carlson talk with Kyle Kazan, CEO of Glasshouse, one of the fastest growing vertically integrated cannabis companies in the United States with a dedicated focus on California. In this episode, our hosts sat down with Kyle to talk about his personal journey into legal marijuana and how he transitioned his career from law enforcement to cannabis entrepreneur, as well as his passion for criminal justice and drug policy reform. Kyle also dives into Glasshouse's competitive advantage and the sustained success his brand has had in the highly competitive California market. He offers his thoughts on President Biden's pardons, the future of interstate commerce, and how Glasshouse is examining expansion and growth opportunities. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Glasshouse CEO Kyle Kazan. Kyle Kazan, CEO of Glasshouse. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, before we get into to Glasshouse and the brand that everybody knows and loves, uh, can you talk a little bit about your background? Because you have a very unique background coming into the cannabis industry. Yeah, um, happy to, Anne. And thank you guys for having me on, on your show. It's, it's an honor. Um, so I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, my co-founder, Graham Farrar, same thing. So uh, there's something about a California vibe. I think it's just when you've been here your whole life and I've never left, um, something special about that and something the way you look at the world, including cannabis. Um, you know, I was an athlete, so I sort of understand aches and pains uh, from that. Uh, I was an inner city school teacher. So for four years, I know what it's like to work in, in some of the toughest um, sort of crime-ridden, um, low socioeconomic areas in the country in South Central Los Angeles. And then I was um, front and center in the drug war as a police officer for five years. And um, I think most importantly for Glasshouse, I've been an entrepreneur and I built different businesses and I made a lot of different M&A investments throughout my career. So you sort of put all those together um, into this very interesting brand new industry and um, I'm able to pull from from each of those experiences. So, Kyle, you're you're probably the only cannabis CEO in the space with experience as an actual member of law enforcement. Can can you talk about your experience working the, the drug and gang beat in the 90s and how that shaped your views today towards uh, reform um, for victims of the failed war on drugs? Yeah, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole about where I'm seeing things go today, but but the 80s were were pretty crazy. I, I went to the University of Southern California after two years in junior college uh, by the Port of Los Angeles. Both are, are trying neighborhoods, um, and gangs and and drugs were were rampant. Murders you'd see it on the news every night. Um, it was just a shooting gallery of. Uh, murder in in Los Angeles and people in the 90s got really really it was just a backlash 
towards the the crime. And, you know, for instance, the 1994 crime bill led by Senator Joe Biden um, just was just wanted to hammer down crime and start sending people to jail, just lock them up. And the big focus was on drugs. And so um, in California, we had three strikes, you're out, which was third felony, 25 to life. Judge had no discretion. You're just gone. And so in that context, with law enforcement now going after drugs is when I became a police officer in 1994. And, um, and so instead of, say, if you watch an old episode of Adam 12, where it felt like the police, they were out there trying to serve society and trying to be peace officers, we became drug warriors. And that was the way to solve the broken window theory and things like that. And as a young police officer and somebody who always tries to do well at my job, getting felony arrests, taking guns off the street, gangs and drugs were pretty much intertwined uh, because drugs are an illicit business and gangs were happy to dive right into it and, and they control their neighborhoods. And so um, I made a lot of arrests. In, in the area where I worked in Southern California, marijuana was not, that was not the focus. Um, right. And quite frankly, when I became a police officer, I admitted and was very honest that I had smoked uh, cannabis in high school. And quite, and, and you wouldn't have any police officers if you <laughs> disqualified them in California for smoking, yeah. smoking marijuana. Right. So um, that was not a big deal to, to myself as a street police officer and you know that was not my focus methamphetamine crack cocaine heroin um and i became a drug recognition evaluator and i was on the gang enforcement team and i would tell you that in making a lot of arrests i'm a pretty affable person and i would talk to some of the folks and um as i got to know them and they would have my pager number and you're too young to probably know what a pager is. So I am not. I All promise right. you. All right. <laughs> you're probably on the. It's on a the good end. filter. All right. All right. But I'd get paged at one in the morning. <laughs> my wife, if I was not working, because I was usually a, uh, a, a graveyard officer, my wife would be like, Kyle, your pager is going off at one in the morning. And by the way, who's paging at one in the morning? Um, and it, typically it was folks that were you know, fighting their, fighting their um, drug addictions. And they were calling me because they were having some sort of an issue. And, um, and after I got into the drug war and I, I made a lot and a lot, a lot of felony arrests, I realized this is stupid. And by the way, at the same time, I'm syndicating real estate with investors. So I'm looking at things in a business lens and I'm looking at the business lens of being a police officer going, so I'm, I'm going off the street to take somebody to jail for hurting themselves. They right. have a bindle of methamphetamine or, you know, uh, a rock. And I'm taking them to jail because they may hurt themselves or this is bad for them. And then I'm off the streets where the, a car is getting stolen or, or somebody's getting beaten up. And then I'm also going to court and we're sending them to, to jail. And... So the resources that we're expending on this made absolutely no sense. And the gentleman that that was that I remember that that call uh, because it was a wake up since I went to work the next night and, I, and he was living in a, in a dumpster area behind a shell gas station. 
I went and I talked to him and he said, Kyle, I'm ready. And I said, what are you ready for? And he said, I'm ready for drug rehab. And it hit me at that very moment. And I know your listeners are going to be like, oh, you just woke up to the fact that you didn't have re rehab. All I had were handcuffs. I had a gun. I had jail. And I had a car to transport him there. And I couldn't really help him. And I thought, man, it'd be a lot cheaper if I could just take him to a rehab facility because he wants it now. And even if it didn't work, at some point, it probably would work. And so, but at least that was a better outcome for society. So my my arrest went way down. And um, I was, I, I became disenchanted in the, in the drug war. Later, a uh, few years after I, I left the department to, to focus on business, I was invited to meet some members of law enforcement against prohibition today called law enforcement action partnership. And they'd asked me what I thought about the drug war. And I thought, I just said, it's, it's just a waste of resources. It's a war on poor people and it's a stupid game. And so since 2007, I've spoken out. Um, I can't do it as much about certainly cannabis because I'm, I'm totally conflicted since I'm here to make money in cannabis, but I still speak out about, um, some of the other things that I think are, are completely foolish. Like, for instance, there's people are running around the country banning menthol cigarettes. And if you want to see police officers' hands on black people taking them to jail, since 80% of the consumers of menthol cigarettes are black people, that's the best way to do it. So our legislators continually do not learn. And the police, it's easy to blame law enforcement when we really need to blame the folks that make the laws. And so um, from my background, I would tell you, I am fervently, uh, very loudly anti-drug war and wanted to end. Uh, legalize and regulate is the best or least worst option, in my opinion. And I would tell you, I was watching a podcast recently, and, and I'll end my answer with this, that the cartels are actually buying California cannabis and shipping it back to Mexico. What? Because it's one, it's looked at as the best cannabis in the world. It is. And two, um, you know, they're shipping fentanyl, they're shipping heroin, they're shipping methamphetamine. It's almost like the container ports, you know, container ships out of the port of LA and Long Beach. Why go back empty? And so they're taking California cannabis back. That was from a retired um, narcotics officer in Mexico. Wow. I mean, but California has the, the supply, right? Remember, <laughs> we're now regulating, we've legalized and regulated the market in California. So, um, you know, we don't need Mexican cannabis here. You can get tested cannabis in, in most of the states in this country. If you did that with heroin, you did that with cocaine, you educated people, you know, most of the overdoses that we deal with with fentanyl, that we deal with with heroin, it's because this is untested. These people, they're your relatives. You may not know it, but people that use heroin are just people that have a drug problem. They're, they don't deserve a death sentence because they can't get that drug. And if someone is disagreeing with me and getting upset, like the, um, you know, Kevin Sabet and some of those guys out there that just drive, they, they drive, it's amazing I have any hair left. <laughs> um, 
you know, I would say, well, where does it end? I mean, you know, if you ask me, sugar is is more dangerous than almost than almost anything else. And what about alcohol? We tried that for 13 years and that didn't work either. So um, I think we need to really look and see what's the most humane, what's the most pragmatic way to deal with it and realize we'll never get rid of drugs. We just have to deal with them in a smarter way. And law enforcement should not be dividing itself you know, from the poorest communities in, in, the, um, in the country. We need to have a better, you know, we need law enforcement and we need police officers to become peace officers again. Right. I totally agree. Um, before we, do, I, I do want to get uh, to, to Glasshouse, but, but this is an interesting conversation. And, and you know, you mentioned Senator Biden, um, yes. who was, you know, the, the biggest to that guy. Yeah. Drug well, warrior, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think he uh, I think he ran for office, you know, um, but, you know, he made this announcement in late 2022, um, you know, with about clemency for those with federal possession charges, which which really is a couple thousand people. Right. Which I mean, good for them. But what else do you wish he would have added to that announcement? Yeah. So, look, any step in the right direction is a good step. Um not one person came out of prison from anything he's done there. I, I agree with giving, you know, pardoning folks. The last, the last announcement he made a week ago or two weeks ago, like eight people and they're all in their eighties and then none of them are in prison. This morning, I was worried I was going to be a little bit late because I live up in, a, in an area with Hills. Parker Coleman, who's in prison for nonviolent cannabis, has already served 11 years, he has 55 to go. In the next year, Glasshouse, we're gonna sell a quarter of a million pounds of cannabis. There's nobody in prison that's done that, at least nope. in the United States. So um, what I would like President Biden to do is live up to the promise he made. And that is to actually let these people out. There's about 2,700 people in federal prison. This The country has moved on. And people like myself, and I hope he himself does some soul searching, that were heavily involved in the drug war have realized it was a mistake. It's the third worst policy this country's ever had. Slavery, the policy of moving Native Americans and killing them if they didn't move, and the drug war. Those are as if as a my degree and my undergrad is in history, I would tell you with pretty good certainty those are the worst policies we've ever we've ever had. We've recognized the first two were wrong. Mm -hmm. The third one is that is it's time for us right. to realize it's time to end the war. So I'm hoping that President Biden um, takes as seriously as he did Brittany Griner, who broke Russian law. I'm happy she's home. But if you're saying she was wrongfully detained for breaking Russian law, what about all the 2,700 Americans that you don't need to trade the merchant of death? You can just take out your pen yes. and sign, and it's over. That's what I'd like to see. I had a follow-up question to, to that. You know, it's like, but, but when does this... This doesn't happen under Biden's watch, right? Like it's going to take some time, um, you know. He, but you're right. He could just sign the pen and get it, and get it going. You know, there's other individuals that are over in Russia right now that are still locked up on, you know, for for other things. But 
Um, yeah, that was that's a very interesting point. It's, what can you do? You know, um, I, I I believe the United States, had, you know, they're releasing Miss Griner over Paul Whelan, and and there's a teacher over there. The teacher, right? Like, you know, it sucks for it sucked for all three of them. Yeah. Um, we all know that social media. We live in a very interesting world these days. Um, whatever his motivation for, I'm happy she's home. I'm happy she's with her family and she's resuming her life. I hope the other two, the United States, the State Department has a has a role to go and get those get all Americans that are detained, even if they have broke the, broken the local law. When I, I hope under the Biden administration, I believe, you know, I sit on the board of Mission Green, which is part of the Weldon Project. Weldon yeah. Angelos yep. was the person who served 13 years mm-hmm. for I mean, his is a his is a unique story, and I, I hope you you actually uh, it'd be great if you invite him on the show. You, you'll find him to be an amazing speaker and, a, and a, an amazing human being. Um, but we're working with the with the pardon office and the pardon attorney at the Department of Justice. Um, we've seen bit of, a bit of turnover in the White House, so some of the people that we had been working with have have since moved on, um, and so. We believe that we will start making some headway. I don't know if we'll get all 2,700, but we've submitted a bunch of names. And two of the names I have said in the paperwork, and I've committed that I will I will make sure that they are employed for at least one year and have housing for at least one year. And if they can't be in cannabis because, let's say, they get clemency, I'll put them in my real estate company. But I have said I, I, I will do that. And also, Glasshouse hopes we're allowed to hire some of these people because we will use that as actually a positive in their hiring and, and put them to the top of the top of the list. We actually interviewed somebody uh, this week to see he's he lives in Fresno and he is a felon for cannabis. Um, so we're, we're trying to get some of these people, get their lives back going and try and, and positively use our company um, for, for you know to heal some of those wounds caused by the drug war so i'm i'm, I'm my next question is going to be on Glasshouse, but hiring the people to bring them into to the company how like since it is legal in california but it's not legal federally is that the reason why you wouldn't be able to bring them in is, so the, the gentleman that we interviewed who lives up in fresno was introduced by leap you know law enforcement against prohibition yep. and said hey this gentleman reached out to us and, um, you know, I, since I've had a long relationship, the folks over there sent email to me uh, and he, he's grown cannabis. That's been that's what he did. So Graham Farrar, uh, at my request, called and spoke to him. He's 67. He lives in Fresno. We don't have any operations in Fresno. So what we said and, and he doesn't want to relocate to where we do have operations. So we said, look, uh, and he basically said, we're the first cannabis company that, that has ever reached out to him. So he was, uh, according to Graham, pretty emotional and pretty happy about it. We're hoping to have operations of some sort up in Fresno, you know, when we can, because that's a that's a big, big city in, in the state. Um, and we do because he said he would love to work at a dispenser as well. And we would certainly be open to that. The To, to more direct, you know, answer to your question, if somebody's granted clemency, they still may be on parole. If they're on parole, that that's so you're you're out. You're no longer in prison, but you you live under some very tough guidelines. And 
Um, if it's still federally illegal, um, I think that might be a, I just want to prepare. So right. I, just in case that became some sort of a gating issue and a, and a, a U.S. attorney is asked because they'll go back to all the U.S. attorneys mm. who help put these people in when the pardon office reaches out. I want to make sure I have another business that I own that's 24 blocks down the street that has nothing to do with cannabis. That's literally a completely different business and they can work there. So um, I just want them out and I want to do everything I can personally, professionally to, um, to make, to make the situation for the pen signing to be as easy as possible. And, and literally I spoke to Parker Coleman this morning and, you know, it breaks my heart that I'm here talking to you and you're going to be asking me all these business questions, which I appreciate. And as a fiduciary for a very large publicly traded company, uh, I'm doing the best I can, but it's hard while I'm doing this that somebody is serving very, very hard time in maximum security prison for selling the exact same drug that I am selling. Right. No, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, we'd love to hear stuff like that. So, you know, certainly we'll be following that as that, uh, as that happens. So, you know, thank you for that, Kyle. Um, I, I do want to switch gears though. And, and I, I want to talk glass house and, and the company's competitive advantage. Um, you know, you guys mentioned that your cultivating footprint is substantially larger than many of the top MSOs out there. And you're concentrated in only three farms, all located in the world's best growing climate. Talk to us about your almost 6 million square feet of best in class cultivation facilities. So, um, so Philip, you know, in talking to you and Ann, you guys said you're readers. Yes. So am I. Uh, I'm actually a listener because I'm uh, more of an auditory guy. So I love audible. I do that too. We were, that's why Phil's going to lit to get his Libby app. Cause that's how I listen to books. Sorry to nerd out there, but yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, um, that I would being a history major, history has a way of repeating itself and you can learn some amazing lessons. Um, and, and there's a book called Americana 400 oh. years of America, American capitalism. Yeah. And so when you look at what are, you know, one, these are all brand new industries in the United States and the U S um, it, it's just, it's a fascinating book. And when you look at Andrew Carnegie and steel, mm -hmm. when you look at Rockefeller and oil, the durable competitive advantages that they focused in on were costs and prices to the consumer. And the feeling, the the lesson that I that I learned from reading that book and from just studying history is that one, consumers appreciate low prices, but prices are cyclical. Costs can be permanent. So if you are focused in on your costs, as the cycles happen, one, you'll survive. And as the cycles go up and sometimes there are shortages or things like that, you'll do you'll do quite well. But if you take care of the consumer and during downturns, that's a great opportunity to pick up market share. So the three farms we have, Philip, one is 150,000 square feet in um, Carpinteria, which is Santa Barbara County, California. 
that one, the reason we landed on that one was I, I had hired an agriculture professor who had grown cannabis. He was at the University of Colorado. And we talked about the best possible light. And he felt Southern California was it. And so that was our first farm. It really worked well. And we worked with legalizing and, and uh, my, my co-founder, Graham Farrar, uh, did an, an absolutely brilliant job. Um, full credit to him on that. So much so that we held, I love uh, as a private equity person, I know we'll probably get into that. I love that the experience of investing with me, if it's in a, an apartment complex here or abroad, I like the investors to have an experience with it. And so we had a party at the 150,000 square feet um, as it was fully planted. And we had some great Santa Barbara wine and we had some vegan dishes and we had some other dishes and people were like, oh my God, you actually did it. We invested in this, you're growing cannabis. I can't believe I'm in a farm this big. And um, and so we learned so many lessons that we then bought a 355,000 square foot farm, about five minutes drive up the 101. And then we learned a lot there. And during the process, we heard about the second largest um, greenhouse facility in America in Camarillo. And Camarillo actually has even better light based on how far the mountains are from the ocean. And it's a longer story, but it's better light. And 1% more light is 1% more yield. And so when we saw this farm in October of 2018, several of us, some of our investors, Graham and I, our wives, we walked this with a gentleman who had built it out. We, our minds were blown and we said, whoever gets this farm will have that competitive durable advantage, full stop. And the only reason we're a publicly traded company today was because the, the opportunity to buy that farm came and um, all the moons align and we, and we have it. And I would tell you, um, you know, and from where you live, it's about an hour. Um, Nick is going to have to take a Southwest Airlines flight, which has its own perils. Um, and, and Philip, I didn't ask what city you're in. Um, I'm, in I'm in New Jersey. I'm about 20 minutes west of New York City. Okay. So you're about a five-hour flight and then an hour drive from LAX. But I'll tell you, uh, I hope you guys will come with on. no traffic. Sorry, with no traffic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing is, we're the only company that I know of that's publicly traded that has an actual live uh, annual meeting, and we host it up there at the farm. We want we want people that are investors to be able to come up and you know. Last I looked, for less than a Starbucks cup of coffee, you could buy a share of our stock. Come and get a tour, and you'll see an amazing facility. And so. Um, it generates 14 megawatts of power cleanly on site through cogen and through solar. Um, it uses well water and we take all the rainwater that, that just fell on Southern California on the entire property and we send it all to the aquifer um, and we clean it. Oh, uh, that's great. Yes, and, and we recycle all the water we use. And when we use the cogen, the natural gas turned electricity, it creates um, heat, it creates electricity, heat, and CO2. And the heat and the CO2 we put right into the greenhouses. Mm. So it's it's very, if you think about ESG, and I know that's it seems like a pretty political word from Southern California, I like to swim in the ocean, so E matters. I like to body surf. I don't wanna do it with trash and sewage. 
So I care about the environment here. And it's it's great that we that we grow our cannabis in a very sustainable way. And then the S is I think we do the right thing on the social side to not leave those those prisoners of war of the war on drugs behind. So we we really do care about ESG here. All right. So as a follow up here uh, on the farms, is it right that Q3 was your first full quarter of production at the SoCal facility um, following the, the, the phase one retrofit? Yes, so that we were able to fully harvest. Um, so there's there's there are six greenhouses on site. One of them we built out half of, about half a million square feet for our nursery for propagation. The other million square feet was flowering, and that was the first time. That was the first quarter where we could basically harvest from that entire million square feet and sell it. So the answer is yes. All right. So were you satisfied with the results? You know, when I was a basketball player, um, I was always chasing the perfect game and I was never satisfied, even though people were patting me on the back and we got a win. Um, so I would say I'm very proud of our team. I think they did an amazing job. I think they're they're cutting edge on a lot of uh, on so many things and they're learning so much. So I'm very happy with the team and I'm hoping that we can continue to improve our results. How's that? I'll take it. I want to make every shot, Philip. <laughs> I hear you. I know exactly what you mean. Um, um, and before we get into brands, yeah. you know, Kyle had mentioned the uh, Starbucks cup of coffee um, in regards to the stock price. Um, it's been a rough go this year for publicly, well, over the past two years for publicly traded companies. And Outside of federal legalization and with safe banking dead in the water, you know, what needs to change in order for investors to feel that, <laughs> air quotes, green rush again? God, that's a good question. You know, I, I've been a private equity guy my whole life, so I don't have whatever the, the market feels like, um, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations of watching the stock price in the market. Um, so it's it's still a newer phenomenon to me. My my focus has always been when we have a fund and we have assets and we're repositioning them and we're we're building them out. Um, the whole goal always is to be free cash flow positive to get um, a good cash on cash return. That that's that's why I'm not in a police car or teaching classes anymore as I've, I've been able to do that con consistently. All the other companies that I own are free cash flow positive, no debt and money in the bank. Every single one of them. Glasshouse is not there yet. Um, for when it comes down to, there's two, two answers to this. One, what can, what can we do at Glasshouse? One, we need to get to free cash flow positive. We told the market we would do it by the third quarter of this year, 2023. We need to do that because then put you in a different position where you don't need to ever go out there and raise money again. Does that mean we won't raise money again? Of course not. If we're going to continue to grow, there, there will likely be, um, be those situations where we'll do it. Um, but if you're free cash flow positive, you can go ahead and reinvest that cash. You can turn it into a dividend or you can use it to continue to build out, um, you know, the millions of square feet that we still have that are right now growing tomatoes and cucumber. For stock investors, I think what, what most stock investors and most stock funds that are 
that are investing in the space. They need some sign from the federal government that the federal government is actually going to um, listen to the will of the people. And that 90% of Americans think that this plant should not be illegal. And um, the fact that we're dealing with this nonsense, um, you know, you have Chuck Schumer saying one thing, but uh, my college basketball coach used to say, I'm tired of listening, walk your talk, just walk it. And so when I listen to the nonsense and I see the Democrat versus Republican and all that, a majority of both parties of, of their constituents want this not to be an illegal plant. And so what's happening in the federal government is a travesty. And, and I'll tell you why it's, it's very frustrating. Under 280E of the IRS code, we can't write off a lot of our expenses that, are, that every other business in the United States can, can write off. And what that means is we pay much higher taxes. So the industry that is getting no representation like literally, we're not getting the representation because our elected leaders are listening to, they're listening to the money. They're listening to special interests. Big Pharma is, would, you know, it's no coincidence that Chuck Schumer is the largest recipient of Big Pharma money of all the 535 people in Congress. So to back to your question, they need to see some commitment. And the fact that they couldn't get safe banking like, just so everyone understands, my company and all the big MSOs, we're banked. I bank with a very large bank. I don't have those issues. But in New York, Chuck Schumer State, they're handing out license to, licenses to social equity applicants, trying to help these businesses. And all the criminals out there know that they're, they're not banked because these small businesses will not be able to get banked. Right. The big banks come to me because they know we're fully audited. They know that we've got all the things in place so that the, the anti-money laundering, so they won't get in trouble. And so literally people are going to die this year at dispensaries that didn't have to do this. So for Chuck Schumer to blame McConnell and McConnell and, and, and the stupid game that's played in the Kabuki theater that is our Congress, <laughs> I would tell you that it's disgusting, And in, but investors, they're not wrong to just say, this is, this is a, and I'm going to do it. This is a shit show. <laughs> and, and I'm not investing in the shit show because I, my money can earn 4% in the bank right now with no risk. Right. And I can't argue with that, quite frankly. Now I've never taken any money off the table. And when some of my stock grants come in, I just pay the tax. I write it. I write a new check. And I pay the government because I don't want to sell my stock. I think it's way too cheap. In my opinion, I think all the cannabis stocks have just gotten hammered because people are just saying, come back to me when, when our, our elected representatives do something. So, so far in this, in this discussion, our president is not letting cannabis prisoners out. Well, a massive industry is being built. And Congress won't give us any kind of relief, let alone just deschedule the, the darn drug and stop the nonsense and listen to the democracy that we are supposedly in. I uh, mean, let me, I, one, let, let me give you one more thing. Just one last thing. There are five lobbyists for every member of Congress 
for big pharma alone. Five. That's I've thousands. I've never heard that statistic. Of that is right. that is scary. That's how much money. When you watch yeah. your TV, see how many commercials are telling you about diseases you've never heard of that can be solved with you know these happy people on this new drug that they'll take for the rest of their lives. That's insane. I mean, so we talk about you know Schumer and and his complete inability to to get anything done on this issue. Um, you know, we, our colleague Chris Crane actually wrote a pretty excoriating piece in Forbes um, last week. Uh, or or uh, weeks are weird because of the holiday. I don't know when it was, but we can put it in the show notes. So um, definitely, definitely feel you there. I mean, and this this whole industry has been kind of pieced together state by state, you know, working within the rules, kind of we're building the the, the plane as we're flying it. Um, there was something interesting that that's happening in Oregon, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but um, and I'm just going to read something from MJ Biz. Um, on November 17th, a licensed licensed Oregon Oregon distribution company, Jefferson pa- Packaging House, filed suit against Oregon Governor Kate Brown and other state officials. The suit seeks to overturn a section of Oregon law that prohibits state leg- licensed operators from shipping marijuana across state lines, arguing that such a prohibition is unconstitutional. What are your thoughts on this interstate commerce fight? You know, as a, a proud Californian and, a, uh, you know, your your business is, is domiciled, obviously, here in California. Um, do you have any any eyes towards interstate commerce? And, and do you think that'll happen ahead of federal legalization? Or I'd just love to hear your thoughts there. Um, yeah, uh, so... I'm not familiar with the all the intricacies of that particular case. I saw the main case that um, the Dormant Commerce Clause um, won, and Maine wouldn't was not allowed to say you had to live in Maine for two years before you got a license. And Maine argued it's a federally legal drug, and the federal district court said, "Well, it's not the way it appears from our vantage point. It may be federally legal, but it's basically." legal in many, many, many states. So um, I believe the Dormant Commerce Clause will absolutely kick in. The Constitution is still relevant. Um, You know, California, what one of the saddest things that I'm watching is when you when you look at when when you look at what the consumer wants, when you look at the illicit market in New Jersey and, and especially in New York City, they want California cannabis. Anything that's claimed California, people pay more for. I live in an ag state. 50% of fruits and vegetables around the country, and for sure, Philip, you can get California oranges and California produce. Oh, yeah. is, we do this. Almonds. I mean, we, we are a breadbasket here. And the hard part is one of the things that's special about California are all the small farmers that for decades, generations, have been growing up in the Emerald Triangle, but because they can't sell outside the state legally, a lot of them are going out of business. And it's an an absolute travesty that lives are being ruined, fortunes are being lost, people are killing themselves, committing suicide, because we're not able to give an agriculture product 
to people who want an agriculture product. So it is absolutely vital that we get to interstate commerce. Now, the question that, that you asked is, is pretty nuanced. And, and I would tell you, I hope we get to federal legalization or descheduling de fast, because then I think if they deschedule, the Commerce Clause matters, and we would be able to start selling um, across the country. Um, there would be things to work out, taxes and testing and things like that. But that that's just part of that's just part of business. Um, that's but, any industry. I mean, in, in why, why should cannabis be no different? Any different? And ultimately, I think if you use history as your guide, that's where we're going to end up. The question is, the, to make this sausage, it's going to take a little bit of time and uh, more time than it should. Um, but also, that's the U.S. That's what we do. Um, but it's possible that we get some interstate compacts. Um, you know, Philip, your your governor has said that they would like to import cannabis. And right. our governor has said he'd like to export cannabis. Now, I'm not sure how that, you know, I've been asked that many times. I'm like, I'm not sure exactly how that would work because it probably wouldn't be good to try and fly cannabis <laughs> to New Jersey. I think that's, you know, so much for our competitive durable advantage. Um, if I'm having to, you know, put on a Southwest Airlines flight, <laughs> um, if it ever gets there. Uh, so, well, edibles could be shit. Yeah, what I would say is it's an it's an absolute certainty that we at some point in the future will be able to sell California grown cannabis to other states in this country and someday worldwide. Um, how it gets there is sort of anybody's guess. If uh, Phil Murphy and Gavin Newsom have a kumbaya moment uh, and then some, you know, it's asking a lot of them and then help us figure out a way to, to make that supply chain work where we somehow get it get it without having the state police in you know one of the non-cannabis states stop it. I, it we need to figure that out uh, but it's possible the states do it because they've done everything with the federal government continuing to keep their head in the sand i guess would be my answer so it wouldn't shock me to see us selling in nevada or arizona before anything happens uh from congress I mean, it's happening anyway. Why not make some money off of it if you're the state or whatever? We all know that argument. I've, um, seen, Cal I've <laughs> seen California products that I believe are legitimate California yep. products in stores because I have to go to being a publicly traded company. I have to go to New York. Um, and plus, I like the city and I'm a curious person. I love going into dispensaries. So when I go in these, I'm like, that looks real. That looks real. Um yeah, but that's true. I was in the city over the holidays with my wife and, and some of her friends, and there was a dispensary right down the street. And it's funny because the they there was a line for the one that opened up last week that was like five hours long. But you, then you could just go down anywhere in Soho and pop into one of these other shops. And you're right. Like there was a package of a Southern California brand that I saw. And I'm like, this looks so real. It has to be real. Like this cannot be counterfeit, but who knows? Who knows? I, I will say that um, I have a lot of friends that live in New York and they'll send me a photo or they'll text me that they believe they're buying our products. And um, I, I will tell you, I don't want to screw around the federal government ever. Um, and so we only sell to licensed 
people licensed by metric in California. And I'd be willing to, to bet that most, if not all of the California brands you see have been sold legally through metric here and then somehow made their way, you know, whether somebody came and bought a bunch here and, and then and somehow traveled or, or however, but um, it's, it's crystal clear to me what the market wants. And it's crystal clear to me what our, what our fellow Americans want as right. far as our, our government. So the fact that we're having this discussion, it's just a little bit frustrating. Right. Well, like all the eyes are on these new markets like New York, New Jersey, Maryland, but California is still the crown jewel of the cannabis industry. The market there, there's a ton of issues, oversaturation, illicit market. You know, what do you see the future for California cannabis? Like where is California going to be 12 months, 18, 24? What's the future look like? So, so Philip, if I, if, if you and I were there in Philly and I said, Hey man, let's get a, I'm sorry, uh, New Jersey, let's go get a Philly cheesesteak. We might actually get on a train and go to Philly and go to one of those like three or four famous Philly cheesesteak places. He knows. Yeah. Right. I've been there. It's good. Good. Um, and then, you know, I have some operations, uh, for real estate and pecans down in Georgia. I pay extra for a Georgia peach. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's on the license plate for God's sake. So I think Appalachian matters. I mean, I don't know why I pay more for a Napa wine than I do from Sonoma County as Sonoma is pretty darn good too, but Appalachian does matter And California with all the different strains and all the, all the things that happen in this state for, and growing great quality cannabis. I think California, um, I think California grown cannabis will fetch a premium. Ultimately, the way I see the world, and this is just from my vantage point, although I, I uh, eat, sleep, and drink uh, this all the time, you know, seven days a week. I think the MSOs are gonna be the large retailers. I think that whatever brands they have, they're going to try and get California cannabis, whether it's our brands, whether they're gonna go ahead and buy wholesale and make their own brands here. But I think that the MSOs value are their um, their retail assets. It's not, you know, if if you're in 22 states and you're vertically integrated in 22 states, when legalization comes and it's clear that um, interstate commerce is going to come, my worry if I'm an MSO is that Blackstone is going to come in and they are going to actually grab a bunch of retail and make a, a much more efficient supply chain than the ones that were built for the situation we're in now. Right. So if you're an MSO, you've got to be thinking, what does it look like when interstate commerce comes? How do you handle that? And try not to overbuild too much because you're going to have to restructure in a big, in some manner. For the way we've looked at this, and I'm still surprised that we're now 2023, so happy new year to everybody, and we're still schedule one drug, still the craziness, but our focus has always been build for today, but with the eye on tomorrow. So you don't hear me really talking in investor discussions unless I'm asked about interstate commerce, because right now that's not something we can do. Mm -hmm. And if I start ever making that bet, um, I just call it like, if you're an investor, just call it, take it as a free call option. It'll eventually happen. But right now I need to get us to cash flow positive 
And in my head, it's not shipping to Arizona to, to get us there. But ultimately, I think our supply chain here in California, we'll just have to figure out how to get our products as cheaply as possible and as quickly as possible so the freshness is there to states around the country. So I, I, I want to go back because I've just been taking some some notes here in, in you know, just going back to the, the, the free cash flow and you know, how uh, some of these, well, a, a number of companies in this space, in the sector have had a terrible time trying to raise capital here over the last two years. However, Glasshouse was able to raise just over 30 million in two preferred stock offerings in the second half of 2022, despite these terrible market conditions. Right. So can you tell us about that process, you know, and, and why do you think Glasshouse succeeded in raising those funds? So, uh, so as the CEO of the company, I try sometimes to look at some of the, I try and make decisions. And, and in this one, this is Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, which was don't do anything stupid, like get yourself killed. And so when it came down to, you know, we've been in business now since 2016 or so. And um, we we didn't do stupid leases. You know, we, we weren't trying to build like a, a tech company at, at any cost. We've tried to keep our head focused in on good business principles. So at a time where we've got this massive farm and we need some we, we need some working capital, um, we, we bought some stores up in the central coast. Um, our balance sheet is still pretty darn clean. Um, you know, I, I like no debt. We have some debt. Um, and also I came into this as we, you talked, the first question you asked about my background, I've been doing private equity since 1996. And thus far, I've not lost money for our, any of my investors in any of those. So I do have a coterie of people that um, I have been able to make a lot of money for. And in very difficult circumstances where I am, you know, repositioning gang ridden uh, apartment complexes in not so great areas of the world. And so when it came down to this, um, I put my private equity hat on. Yes, we're a publicly traded company, but we raised it as preferred equity. And, um, you know, it was. It was a good it was a good coupon. Uh, both in cash and in in payment in kind, and it came with some with what we thought were pretty attractive warrants. Um, but I would tell you, it's, it was a lot of conversations with a lot of sophisticated investors, um, many of which I think are, you know, kind of playing with house money just from investing with me over time, and we're willing to take a bit of a flyer here um, because we would have some of the same questions. I mean, you know, Philip and you guys are asking me questions that I've been asked over and over and over again on Zoom about when do I think federal legalizations come? What about this? What about interstate commerce? And I just focus in on our balance sheet. I focus in on our assets. And I focus in on uh, a model that I think is pretty conservative. Um, and also my history, where thus far I've been able to, you know, the, the property management company that actually paid my bills so I could get out of the police car was started with 250 units under management that I'd been able to syndicate when I was a police officer and it was starting a room of less than 500 square feet. That wasn't even a real 
apartment unit. It was a storeroom. And today that, that company, I'm still the majority owner and chairman, it managed over $5 billion worth of real estate. And it's, again, free cash flow positive. It owns, it owns its own office building. It's, um, you know, it's just sticking to the fundamentals. And while we have a lot of headwinds because of all the things you mentioned, uh, an illicit market that's far bigger than the legal market, um, a regulatory system that's still trying to figure itself out here and no federal relief. So we have really strong headwinds. I would tell you that at one point we couldn't even get a payroll company to work with us. We had to pay mm-hmm. people in cash and do the deduction of their taxes in cash. Oh my God. Getting workers comp was difficult mm-hmm. and we had to pay extra to do it, but we did it. I mean, mm-hmm. so today compared to where we were, so when I'm raising money, I'm saying, look, what we have survived thus far. I mean, I almost feel like Indiana Jones with a gigantic boulder behind me and I'm just running. And that's what it's felt like. So it's never been better than it is today. The market in California is as big as it's ever been. People are using cannabis. It is not going away. And the demographic, my oldest son is 22 years old. I talk to him and his buddies all the time. Do they drink White Claw and some of this whole new, I don't want to sound like an old man, this newfangled alcohol thing? But they smoke yeah. cannabis more than they drink alcohol. That That is a fact. So the future is very bright for cannabis. It's just getting us there. And um, so I'm thrilled to death that we had the confidence for our investors. We only want to do one preferred equity round, but we we I promised that I would stop it at 50. I would not expand it. And so we had extra, um, we had a bunch of people that really wanted to put in. And um, so we just did a, a very small C round that was just below it. That and and I said I'm just going to do five, um, and we we basically closed it at four point seven, called it a day. But I, I'm tickled to death. I think we're very very fortunate, and I think sometimes when moons are aligning, I know I sound like a cosmic Californian to you guys, but um, you know, having a good reputation with people and and um, doing what I said I was going to do helped quite a bit. Um, but also I have a team of people. I have a, a ma- we have an amazing CFO. We have an, I have an amazing co-founder in Graham Farrar. Uh, John Brebeck, who heads our IR, knows how to talk to investors. He's been brilliant for years and years and years. So if, if I've done one thing that's really great, it's that I've surrounded myself with people that are better than me. Um, Kyle, you've been so generous with your time here. And I, I do have one last question for you. Um, you see big picture. And I'm wondering um, what is, as it relates to California cannabis, um, what is the biggest story that is 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 under told? So if you were to open the front page of the, the Long Beach press telegram, is that what that is down there? Or... The Ventura Star or the L.A. Times, what do you want that story to be about California cannabis? Oh, that is a really good question. That one I've not been asked. Um, Excellent, because I was afraid we just asked you the same questions as everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're I'm sure you're petrified of that. Um, (laughs) I, I would say. The, the story is, I would like, I would like these, um, these media outlets 
to go inside the companies and humanize them. I would also like to see if some of these companies could bring professionals out to say, I smoke cannabis. Because if they did any kind of reporting, and even if they didn't name names, to quote Harvey Milk, the first gay politician in the United States, who was a, uh, a board of super, he was a supervisor, county supervisor up in San Francisco, come out to your friends, come out to your family. Because right now it's still easy to laugh and marginalize at people who use cannabis. When I will tell you, I know this as a fact and a certainty, professionals all around, not just not just the other states, but California for sure, use cannabis. Your doctor uses cannabis. Your lawyer uses cannabis. Your real estate agent uses cannabis. Your teacher, your kids' teachers use cannabis. Your police officers use cannabis. Your firefighters use cannabis. And I think that's the story that's undertold because it's all around us. And just where Harvey Milk's head was at was it's a lot harder to marginalize people that you know, that you love, that you care about. And cannabis is a good thing. And um, it's good for the planet. It's good for people. And I'm not saying pharmaceuticals don't have a place, but their place is way too big right now in this in this country. So yeah, I would I would basically, you know, I, I've gone on my my social media. I was with my 22 year old and we just got off the ski slopes. And I took, you know, I, I keep this on my desk. I took some of our CBD, it does have THC, but I took it um, to just for my muscle pains because I'm mm-hmm. trying to chase the 22 year old around the ski slopes. <laughs> um, and, but I also thought it was important to show on social media very publicly that I use cannabis and he took a gummy. And, you know, he's a, an educated young person and I'm, I'm a professional and we use cannabis. So that would be, that would be what I would hope uh, becomes a, a lot more. I mean, you can see what's happened since Harvey Milk said that the gay rights movement, there's gay marriage. It's no longer people are marginalized. I'm sure people will be upset when I say no longer, but it's nothing like it was in the 1970s. It's far, far better today than it's ever been. And I'm hoping the same happens with cannabis. Kyle Kazan, thank you so much. This has been really, really a fascinating conversation. Um, Did we miss anything? Anything else you want to talk about while we have you? You know, I was hoping you were going to ask about our brands. Because there's one brand that most people don't know. Yes, about, let's talk about, about brands. And my husband is a big fan of your brand. So I guess I would be in trouble if I didn't ask about your brand. So please, the floor is yours. So thank your husband. He's got <laughs> good taste in two things now that I know of. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I would love to I'd love to smoke with him. And I promise I won't be near the edge of a cliff. Thank uh, you. He appreciates that too. <laughs> um so people know about our Glasshouse Farms brand, which is our California-grown um, cannabis from the, the beautiful sunshine. And most people know about our Plus Gummies as well. Yep. One that that we're hoping makes a bigger impact uh, is called Mama Sue. And Sue Taylor is a woman who, um, let's see, she's older than I am. Uh, she was fervently against cannabis. She was a principal of a Catholic school, and she goes around to senior 
um, senior communities and talking to seniors about how good CBD with some THC to get that entourage effect, how good it is for pain relief, anti-inflammation. And that to me, I have found, uh, and we have an amazing strain called jellyfish, which again, very high CBD, low THC. So you don't have to let the psychoactive take effect to get the benefit, but you can if you're fighting cancer. Graham and I have put this in so many people's hands and now Mama Sue is taking that to the next level. And so I'm really excited about it. It is the entryway for, for people of my age and my generation that smoked it when I was at Cal or you know back then. And all of a sudden I go, well, do you have sleep issues? Do you have pain? So the Mama Sue brand we're hoping really takes takes it, we take it to the next level because I think that it, it's a life changer for so many people. And I've handed it to hundreds of my friends and family that were dealing with some tough stuff. I'll even give you an example. My wife has had both her knees replaced. They tried to give her Oxycontin and Norco and she used this. Only wow. this from major knee replacement surgery. That's how good this plant is. And it's not addictive. You don't have to take other drugs that help your constipation and and you don't have to worry about ending up addicted to something pretty nasty that's how good this drug is this cannabis this plant so that's that was the last thing um so we're we're still building out the mama sue brand but mama sue is real and she's wonderful i love it so we'll put a link to to mama sue um in the in the show notes um and and make sure that that people know how to find you and um, you know, we have a big investor audience, so we'll make sure uh, we link to your investor page too. So Kyle, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. And Phil, Nick, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you'd like to chat with us, please find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback and guest ideas. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite pod catcher. That's one take, Shay, one take. Cannabis! Cannabis!